All right. I was just thinking as we were worshiping, I was just thinking about uh, the many people in this church who serve in children's ministry. If you serve in children's ministry in any capacity, would you just raise your hand real quick? Okay. Wow. That's a lot. What, what a way in which you serve us as a church, which you serve me as, as a dad. I appreciate that because, you know, we read in the book of Judges and it talks about the children of Israel who had experienced this traumatic and unbelievable deliverance from Egypt. And just the way in which they saw God conquer the people in the land of Canaan and just the miraculous way in which God had brought them from one place to another. And it says in, in, I believe it's the beginning of Judges, it talks about, and another generation grew up who did not know the Lord. And there was a generation of people who knew the Lord, and they failed to pass on to their children what God was like and who God is and the basic things that they had seen God do in their lives. And so one of the reasons we think children's ministry is so important is that because we want to pass on to our children the truth that is held in the Word of God. And so... Children's ministry is an, an incredible opportunity just to begin to share the simple truths of God's Word. And we believe that the Word of God is, is shallow enough for a child to play in, but deep enough for an elephant to drown in. And so we do believe that children can understand the Word of God, that children are able to understand eternal truths of God's Word. And so that's why we, we have children's ministry every week that we want to instill upon our children this truth that is found in the Word of God, that we would not be like the Israelites at that time who failed to pass on these truths to our children. So um, thank you guys for serving in children's ministry. It's like, a, it's like a half of the church serves in children's ministry. It's awesome. Um, Frank and Roxanne as well have done a tremendous job of organizing, planning, setting out the curriculum, setting out the way that we want to see children's ministry ran. So they faithfully, week in and week out, serve us and serve our church in caring for our children in that way. So Frank and Roxanne, thank you guys very much. It is very much appreciated. All right. If you would just turn with me to 1 Corinthians 12. We are in our fourth week of the Holy Spirit series that we're going through. And this is a five-week series. So next week is the last week. And then we're going to move on from our Holy Spirit series into the book of Ephesians. And we will be in the book of Ephesians for at least um, three months. And we're going to dig into the book of Ephesians. It is rich. It is about how we understand, how we build, how we see church happening. And it's this clear instruction week in and week out. What is the church supposed to be? What, is, what should it look like? How should we conduct ourselves in the context of church? But we want to get into what the Holy Spirit series has to say for us about how we conduct ourselves not only individually in the context of of our lives but also what does the holy spirit mean for us as a church what do we believe about the holy spirit what does god's word have to say about the holy spirit because that will inform and affect the way in which we do church and how we see church operating in the book of ephesians so we'll do that probably till the end of may and then we're going to dig back into the Holy Spirit series for another five weeks, which will then take us into um, July sometime. So that's kind of the, the time frame. But looking at this first series on the Holy Spirit, these first five weeks, we talked about in week one that the Spirit is given to believers as a helper, as a champion, as an advocate, comes alongside the believer. 
And it specifically talks about Jesus Christ being that helper. But as Jesus goes back into heaven, he says, I'm sending you another helper, another one just like me. But he's not just going to kind of be alongside you in terms of physically being present with you in body. He's going to fill your hearts. And that's what we talked about in week two, how the believers now are the temple of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean for us as believers to be filled with the Holy Spirit? to be filled with the Almighty God, the Spirit of Christ Himself dwelling inside of us and the significance of what that meant for us. Now, week three, last week we talked about the Holy Spirit bringing the kingdom of God into our lives. And so often in our lives, when we think about the kingdom of God and what this should look like for us, and even what the disciples thought that it looked like for them, there was an understanding that the coming of the kingdom of God meant that, God, you're going to change all the circumstances around me so that I would be more easily able to follow after you in the midst of ideal circumstances. So you're going to change, you're going to, you're going to break the, the Roman rule over our lives. You're going to take away sickness and death. You're going to bring back the fortunes of Israel. And then in that context, we'll be able to serve you better. But what we see is God, what God did. He says, no, 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 you miss, you're, you're not understanding what it means for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He said, you know what, when God comes in you, he's going to begin to change you in the midst of the circumstances of your life. So instead of God coming in and making everything favorable for us to be able to walk easily in the ways of God, he says, you know what, in the midst of difficulty, the disciples experience persecution and imprisonment and beatings. He says, you know what, in the midst of that, I'm going to change your heart so that you could bring about the kingdom of God wherever you go, even in the midst of difficult circumstances. So we saw, that, saw what that looked like for us last week. Now this week, week four, we're going to look like what it means for us to do. Do you guys have the notes? Okay, so I'm so sorry about that. Bill, the notes are, I believe, either on the back table or on the, the, the table in the office. If you could just grab those for me real quick. I'm so sorry. There's some notes for you guys I want you guys to have. Um, Bill's going to run over and get those for you guys. Tom has his notes. He's following along. He's understanding everything I'm saying. Everyone else is like, what? <laughs> I'm not getting that. So, so this week we're going to talk about what does it look like for the Holy Spirit to affect the way in which we do church? Or what does it look like when God is in the house? Okay. So up until this point, it's been primarily about what does the Holy Spirit mean for us as an individual or for you as an individual? What does it mean for us living our lives out, living about our lives, just doing work and and doing friendships and all those things. But now we're going to look at what does it mean for the Holy Spirit to be inside of us in the context of church, okay? Or what does it mean for us to do it corporately? I'll wait for Bill to pass those out. These are two-sided notes. You got a couple of verses on the back. Okay, so there's a lot of notes. We're not going to get through all the notes today, just so you know. We're not going to be here till noon. Okay, so we're not going to get through all the notes, but we are going to go through most of this stuff. All right, so let's look at 1 Corinthians 12. We're going to start in verse 1, and we're going to work our way through. Okay, so 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1 says this. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. 
Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. He says, I want to clear, clear some things up for you. I want to make some things known to you. I, want, I don't want there to be any misunderstanding of what the things we're talking about. And he's not just saying this, I want you to just have more information, or I just want you to know some more things. He's saying, look, I want you to be able to have a greater faith to experience with understanding what God is doing through his Holy Spirit. So it's not just about more information. He's saying, I want to clear some things up so that you have greater faith to begin to experience with understanding what God is doing. Now, as we begin to talk about spiritual gifts, we immediately begin to jump to like the later verses and just kind of skip past the first kind of few verses that he begins to talk about and lay the foundation for spiritual gifts. I think we all kind of run into some ruts when we begin to talk about spiritual gifts because somewhere along the line, if you've been in church for any number of years, you've heard a message on spiritual gifts or you've taken a spiritual gifts test or whatever, what's your spiritual gift? What's, who's, who's got this spiritual gift? What does this spiritual gift look like? So there's all these different ways in which people talk about spiritual gifts. What I want to do today is kind of take a step back and say, not just what are, what are these spiritual gifts, but what do these spiritual gifts have to say about God? Because we know the scripture is about God, and yet we can look at the spiritual gifts and just kind of box God out and say, okay, let's talk about just the spiritual gifts. What does this look like for me? How does that operate in my life? But what Paul does in this context is Paul's using a word for spiritual gifts that's actually translated spirituals or spiritual things. Okay, so in this context, that would be translated spiritual gifts. But prior to this chapter, he's talking about the way in which the spirit operates in the church. And so because it's in the context of spiritual gifts, we translate it spiritual gifts. But we need to keep this in mind. He's talking about the way in which the Spirit operates in the church. He's talking about spiritual things. What is the Holy Spirit doing in church? What is the Holy Spirit doing in your midst? Or what are the things of the Spirit? Now, let's read on to um, verses 2 and 3, and we're just going to back up and read verse 1 again, then go and read verses 2 and 3. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Paul begins to lay down the first important principle about the operation of the Holy Spirit in the church. And he does this by way of this. He says, first off, I want to remind you of something. I want to remind you, listen, there was a time in your life when you were led astray to mute idols. Basically, you were not just led astray to mute idols, you were led away from God. There was a point in your life where you were completely led away from God to mute idols. And then he says, therefore, I tell you, so because, that you were, because you were led astray, because you were led away from God, I need to tell you some things. I want to communicate some very important things to you because of this past tendency in, in, your, in your lives. And it'd be like me saying, coming to Tom and saying, Tom, I know you've been driving for two weeks now and you've just got your license, but you've, got, you've been in four accidents 
and you've got three speeding tickets, and that lady that you backed into at the grocery store was not her fault, that was your fault. So therefore, I'm going to give you a driver's manual because I want you to understand how to drive. It's important for you to get some things down before you hit the road. And so he's doing that with them. He says, therefore, I tell you. He says, I'm going to tell you by way of quick test. So he says this, which one of these statements is the work of the Holy Spirit? Jesus is accursed or Jesus is Lord. He says, obviously, it's Jesus is Lord. That's the way in which you tell. How do we know it's the work of the Holy Spirit? Jesus is Lord. So the first characteristic of the work of the Holy Spirit is this. It's a focus on the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That is the first test. That is the most important. That, that is the crucial crux of the argument. This is what it means. What does it mean for the Holy Spirit to be in our midst? It's a focus on the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And it always comes down to this, this one point. It always comes down to this. We can ask ourselves, what does this person, what does this ministry, what does this organization have to say about Christ? Is he lifted up or is he torn down? And I remember I was sitting in the waiting room at a car dealership in South Holland, South Holland Dodge at the time. And um, this guy was reading this like uh, religious publication and I didn't, I didn't know what it was. And so, you know, I said, oh, what are you reading? And he said, I can't remember the name of the magazine he was reading, but he began to tell me, he's like, oh, are you a Christian? I said, yes, I am a Christian. He said, so am I. And I said, oh, well, like, tell me what some things that you believe. He said, well, I believe that God should be honored. I'm like, I believe that too. He said, I believe that um, we, should, we should live morally upright lives. I said, I believe that too. And he just wanted a number of basic things. I said, yeah, I agree with you. I said, the real question is, who is Christ? What do you believe about Christ? And then that's where everything got different. Because then he says, well, I believe that, that Christ was, was a son of God, not the son of God. And I believe that we're all sons of, God's, of God. And, and just begin to go about some, just, just a different doctrine, what, the script, what I believe the scriptures have to say. And that's where, the, that's where the crux was. It was, who was Christ? What do you believe about Jesus Christ? What is it that, that we believe the Bible has to say about Christ and how do we live that out? So Paul begins his introduction on spiritual gifts by emphasizing that the message of the Spirit is the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And it'd be like building a home on a, on a crumbling foundation. We may have the nicest home on the outside, the most beautiful exterior, the most, the most perfect windows and siding, and, 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 and everything about this house is just beautiful and perfect. But we know that if the foundation is cracked and crumbling, it doesn't matter how nice the house looks on the outside. The house will eventually crumble and fall and be ruined. And so he says, look, before we begin to talk about spiritual gifts, we need to lay some very basic foundations down. And this is the most basic one. It is the lordship of Jesus Christ in all that we do and all that we say. It is Jesus Christ being lifted high. When we talk about spiritual gifts, it's not just spiritual gifts by themselves. It is, it is what are the spiritual gifts having to say about who Jesus Christ is. So practically, what does that mean? When we see churches that do not believe exactly like us, or exactly do, we don't have a service that looks exactly like Mercy Hill's service, or have a children's ministry exactly like Mercy Hill's, or their service is shorter or longer or, 
or the worship is, is more liturgical and, and it's different. However, amongst that church, there is a declaration that Jesus is Lord. Amen. We have to say this, that, that the Holy Spirit is in their midst. And therefore, we affirm and say, the Lord is doing something in you. Because you are not able to say, Jesus is Lord, except by the working of the Holy Spirit in your midst. And this really is the distinction between biblical Christianity and all of the, all of the religions of the world. We believe that Jesus is Lord, not just a good person, not just a good example, not just a miracle worker, not just a guy with some good sayings. We believe that he is the Lord, the King, the ruler, the way, the truth, and the life, that he alone is the means of salvation, that he alone was, was the perfect sacrifice for our sins, that in Christ, as we believe that his death was for our sins and took the punishment for our sins, we are forgiven. And made new and belong to God. So, it's, it's not what we see happening that matters most. It's what it's saying about Jesus Christ that matters most. So that's what it is even for us on a Sunday morning. It's not what we see happening that matters the most. It's what all this, the worship, the word, the children's ministry, everything that we do. It's what is it saying about Jesus Christ that is most important. All right, let's move on. Let's move to Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 11. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another the works of miracles. To another prophecy. To another the ability to distinguish between spirits to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as He wills. We're going to just put a slide up real quick for you guys. If we looked at this, these verses and we begin to talk about the difference in the, the, the uniformity and the diversity between saying, there's many gifts, but there's one spirit. There's a variety of service, but one Lord. He just keeps going back. If we could show the next verse, I believe it has the, um, the highlighted and the uh, contrasting words. We have that? Okay. I can really see. It's hard to see that. But what we did, though, is we, we went through and contrasted the words that were words of diversity and words of, words of unity amongst this verse. So if you guys can see that better. The underline is the ones that are diversity, and the circled ones are the ones that are ones of unity. And so this is communicating something to us about the nature of, of God himself, because God is, 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 is Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we see in this passage the same Spirit, which is God the Spirit, the same Lord, which is God the Son, and the same God, which is God the Father. There is great diversity in the ministries and workings of each member of the Godhead or of the Trinity. So 
The question then is, you can turn the light back on. Thank you. So what do we do with the, the list of, uh, we do with the list of, of, of gifts in verses 8 through 10? Thanks, Adam. What he's doing is Paul's not making a, a heavenly catalog of spiritual gifts, okay? What he's doing is showing the diversity of the way in which the Spirit works in the church. And the problem with just focusing only on this list of gifts, the only, what are these gifts, what do these gifts look like? The problem is we tend to see spiritual gifts as things, as stuff. They are possessions we accumulate. And as Americans, as you know, if you have a basement or a closet space, which is just full of clutter and stuff and stuff that you've maybe used once or stuff that's still in the box you've never even used, we, as a culture, we accumulate and hoard without responsible use. That's just what we do as Americans. We have to buy, we have to rent storage sheds because we have to put all of our extra stuff that we've accumulated into a storage shed so we have somewhere to put it because it doesn't fit in our houses anymore. And we do that, but God doesn't want us to understand spiritual gifts as stuff or accumulation or things. This is not about God giving us stuff just for our own selves so we can just kind of continue to hoard this and accumulate more, Okay. And Paul's urgency is not to show each person is gifted, but that the Spirit manifests itself in different ways. So the emphasis in these spiritual gifts are not just the gifts themselves, but the giver of the gifts. Okay? Now, the example of this would be in looking at children's curriculum. Okay? Not many of you have had to purchase children's ministry curriculum for your churches, right? Um, I've done this a number of times. But here's the deal with children's ministry curriculum. You read a story, let's say, about Joseph. And we'll get, to, we'll get to Joseph, and we'll see in Genesis, Joseph was this guy who, who, was, who was sold into slavery, and he rose up through the ranks in, in, at Potiphar's house and in the prison and became the second in command in, in Egypt. So we can read a story about Joseph, and we can come away and say, okay, kids, what did you learn about Joseph? Well, Joseph was faithful to what God called him to do. Joseph stayed obedient to God even in a foreign place. Joseph was, um, Joseph was a man that was, was upright and had character and integrity. Wow, when, isn't that great? Let's, let's try to emulate Joseph. Now what we've done is we've completely missed the main point of the, of, of the story. Although Joseph is the main person per se in this story, the main message getting across in that story is not a, primarily about Joseph. It's a message about God. It's what is God doing in the people of Israel at that time. How was God preserving for himself a people? How is God delivering a people from bondage? How is God working in the midst of these situations? And so we can read these stories and think they're about something else apart from God. And they're not. Every page of scripture is about God. And the same thing with these spiritual gifts. We can get lost in this, in this list of gifts and think, what does this gift look like? What is this, how does this gift operate? How, who has this gift? Instead of saying, God, what do these gifts communicate to us about you? What do these things say to us about you? What are you doing in the midst of this list of gifts? Now let's move on to verses 12 through 20. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. 
and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? And as it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So we read that the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Now, there's a, there's a, a slide up here about an auto body. You guys have that slide too? Sorry, I moved my microphone. So, we have, this, we have this car and this auto body and as many parts. So we begin to think of spiritual gifts as, okay, which part are you? Which part am I? Why do you get to be that part? Why am I the back seat near the steering wheel? Why am I, why am I not the engine? Why, why is so-and-so like this? How come they get to be this? And, and so we begin to, to obsess over this list because we're trying to figure out where do we fit in this whole thing and, and how does this whole thing come together? How does this thing work? And we can also be tempted to think, well, if we just had all the right parts, if we had all these right parts together and we put them together, we'd have a real good church. So we just need an incredible worship leader and we need a dynamic pastor and we need someone to administrate all the different ministries and we need some people to show up. And you know what? Boom. We've got ourselves a church, right? And also we sometimes think, well, if everyone just looked this way, I I get so frustrated because things aren't administrated just right or I wish the worship was like this. And we begin to think, well, if things just kind of looked more the way that I'd want them to look, it'd really be a sweet church. If more people look like me, we'd really have a good church, wouldn't it? But verse 18 says, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. And it'd be easy to think of, of worldly leadership models and organization systems. We just put all the pieces together and boom, we have a church. That's not how God does it. Body parts do not make a living body. Nor does connecting them all together, it doesn't give life. Just have all these parts together. It is the breath of God that brings life to a church. It is the Holy Spirit of God that brings a church to life. You know what? Without God's Spirit, we're just like a Lions Club or a Rotary Club. We're just another organization. And it's possible for us to each do our parts in our own strength and play church and try to think, well, we're just doing church. But it takes the Spirit of God to come into a church and breathe life and breathe hope, breathe unity into our church. It's not just something we just kind of fabricate ourselves or work harder to do and then we'll all of a sudden have this. It's a reliance and a dependence upon Almighty God Himself. Now, why all this diversification and and why are these gifts important? Verse 7, let's go back to verse 7. Look what verse 7 says. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. You know what? Gifts aren't given primarily for my own benefit, although we do have some benefit from it. They're not for individual use. They're not just for monetary gain. 
They're not for building large ministries with our names attached to them. They're given for the common good. And not just a good of few, not for the good of a few, but for the good of everybody. Spiritual gifts are given for the common good, for the good of the church. So we're gonna we're gonna do this. We're gonna look like what does it look like for us at Mercy Hill, and how do we experience the work of the Spirit in our church at Mercy Hill here? Now let's look at verse eleven. It says this: All these are empowered by. Or what the NIV says, all these are the work of one and the same Spirit. We have to realize this. That is the Spirit of God that is at work in our midst. This is why when we see any fruit in our church, we see any growth, we see anything good come out of this body, we see any lives changed, hearts softened, that we have to recognize this that it is the work of Almighty God. We don't get any credit for this. We don't stand up ever and say, you know what, the reason we had an amazing time in worship today because Adam played so well and his voice was so clear and his guitar playing was so so on fire. We don't say any of those things. We don't say that, hey, the, the, I, the Word of God is producing fruit in our lives because John's preaching is so amazing. We don't say any of those things. We don't take credit for ourselves. We don't look at ourselves and say, look what we've done. Look at what we've built. Look at how we have changed lives. Because in this passage, we're not the ones at work. It's the Holy Spirit that breathes life, that brings growth, that brings fruit, that brings change. It's the Holy Spirit who's doing these things, not us. And so we have to recognize when we see any fruit, we need to give glory to God and give thanks to Almighty God. Not ourselves, not our abilities, not our hard work. It is the work of God in our midst. So he gets the glory. He gets the credit. Number two. Verse 12 says this, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of one body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. Number two, there's, there's, we're, we are connected without conformity. Okay, We don't all look the same. We don't all act the same. We don't have the same temperaments. We don't have the same gifts, nor should we. We should be grateful for the difference and diversity of giftings that we see in our church. One of the reasons that on Sunday mornings the music can be really loud, if you guys have ever sat next to a speaker, it's loud, it's because my singing is so terrible, okay? I can't stand to hear myself sing. It's that bad. And I know, like, hey, if everyone else is hearing me sing as well, you would be negatively affected by my singing, <laughs> So I'm so grateful that we've got people in this church with a gift to be able to sing praises unto God that sound just beautiful, sound wonderful. I'm grateful for a worship team that can play songs that, that glorify and honor God in a way that just sounds, and it, it pleases us to even be able to sing and to worship God like that. And so there's a diversity of giftings in our church. And so I'm grateful for people like Adam and the singers and, and the people who give their time to do that because it is a blessing to us. It is, it, they serve us in that way. And I'm so grateful that not everyone sings the same way I sing. We'd be an awful church. It'd be terrible. Windows would be breaking. People would come and never come back again. So if anyone does ask, why is the music so loud? Because the pastor's voice is so brutal. We can't, he can't stand to hear himself sing. You know what? This cuts across what we see normally in the world. 
Usually conformity is based on certain standards of where do you live, how much money you make, where you work. There's all these standards that are put into place to kind of put you into a, a different category, different group of people, or a different place to hang out, or a different place to be with. It's all based on these certain standards. It's not that way in the church. It's not that way in the church. We celebrate the diversity that we see in our body, the different giftings that God has brought. Number three, we belong based on God's grace, not on personal performance. Ever try out for a team and didn't make the team? Or try out for a play and got cut from the play? You know what? That, that membership to that team or the membership into that play was based on performance and ability. So you had to perform to a certain standard in order to be included on the team. You had to have a certain degree of, of, of being able to play that you could be able to get on the court. But the church is not like this at all. Look what it says in verse 13. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, and, and all were made to drink of one spirit. You know what? Our belonging to church is based on the work of God in our lives. It's not based on our abilities. We don't come here saying, look what I can do, therefore I'm in. We come based solely alone on God's grace and God's mercy in our lives. That we can participate in what God is doing because of the work that He has done in our lives. And that's how we can come together like that. Because what God is doing in us, not what we're doing, or not what we can do, but what God is doing in our lives. And the end result is this, that the church is being built up and not burnt out. When we try to do things in our own strength, when we rely on our own selves to try to make church happen and make church grow and try to make church smooth, you know what? We become burnt out and tired. I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen in my own life. It's a reliance on the work of God. It's a celebration of, of the, the unity that we have within the diversity that we have. It's an understanding that we're, we come to, to church, we, we participate in, in the context of church because of what God has done, because of His grace. I'm going I'm to close to pray, but I want to ask you, have you tried to make church happen on your own strength? Have you tried to serve? Have you tried to, to be able to bring God something, say, God, look what I can do, now do something with it? Or have you completely trusted and rely on God in what He's doing. Let's pray. Lord, we just come before You and we would ask that You would take what we have, God, and use it for Your glory. Lord, we don't come to You bringing all kinds of things and making demands on You. Lord, we see that You breathe life to our church. And Lord, that You will be glorified for anything that we see in this church of growth, God, so we give, you the, we give you the praise for that even now. Thank you, Lord. And God, I pray that the areas in our lives in which we have strived, that we have worked hard on our own strength and not relying on you, God, I pray that we would come to a place of dependence and reliance upon you and realize, Lord Jesus, it is the work of your spirit that breathes life, not our own. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.